Well, good morning. It is good to be here with you. Uh, my name is Steve McGinnis. I'm the missions and family pastor and uh, excited to be uh, here with you uh, this morning. And uh, just want to uh, mention if you came expecting Pastor Tim, uh, well, there was quite a celebration that took place here yesterday. So uh, Pastor Tim and Jonna's daughter, Megan, uh, and Pastor Larry and uh, Heather, our children's director's son, Mac, were married here yesterday afternoon, and uh, just a, a great celebration, and uh, I think Tim and Jonna took a couple days off. And everybody, every father of the bride says, you yeah, understand that one right there. So uh, that's good. Excited for them. They're off, I think, on their honeymoon this morning. They, they left, didn't they? So Larry and Heather are here as well. So we'd be praying for them, but excited for, for that as well. Well, uh, we are in the series entitled Satisfied. And, and, and what it means to have that, that, that joy that, that only comes from God and the satisfaction that comes from him. Pastor Tim's been working through 2 Corinthians, and uh, we are continuing in that series. We're going to jump out of that passage here in 2 Corinthians, though, and look at Psalm 17 here this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open up to Psalm 17. We're going to walk through this and, and still uh, within the series satisfied, but I uh, uh, want to just kind of walk through this passage and see what here this prayer of David that we find in Psalm 17. Um, if you know anything about Psalm 17, Psalm 17 is also, uh, Psalm 16 is, is kind of a parallel psalm, both of which are probably written about the same time in very similar circumstances. You're going to see much of the same themes that kind of go through uh, these two psalms. And, and uh, really, the, there's a lot of uh, good stuff here, I think, even for us this morning. What do you do when you're in the midst of an attack? What do you do when, when, when the attack has come and, and really it's a, it's a false accusations maybe that are made? We see here, uh, David here writes this psalm, this prayer to God, and uh, really the context of what was going on at this time is, is probably it was uh, sometime within the period here, if you know anything here of, uh, of uh, 1 Samuel 15 to 1 Samuel 31. And in this time period, Israel had declared that they, they, they desired a king and they had named uh, Saul to be the first king of Israel, really going against God's counsel in that. God said he was going to be their king. And they said, yeah, but we want a man. And so they raised up Saul as king. And Saul started off okay, but then there was a series of things that happened and really where he turned his back on God and took things into his own hands and, and sinned against God. And in that process, God said, because of your sin, the, the, your, your descendants will not sit on the throne. And that, that your family line is going to end with you at your death, and I'm going to anoint another king. And he anointed David to be the next king of Israel. Well, if you can imagine, there is a king with his sons in line for the throne, and David, who God has anointed to be the next king, it caused a lot of tension and problems. And so Saul then proceeds over the next 
uh, number of years really to have on, on several occasions trying to, to kill David in this process. And so David's on the run. David's got a little band of guys that kind of huddle and stay with him, and they are on the run. And really, I think it's, it's one of these times that they were on the run is where we see these words here in Psalm 17 that were written. It's sometime in that period. And so uh, what do you do when, when they're attacked? And David here is he starts this psalm. And really, I, I think the question that David starts off with is not whether there's going to be a fight because that was already at, at hand. But the question wasn't, is there going to be a fight? The question was, who is going to do the fighting? And we see here in verse 1, and, and we see our, our first point here is to allow your God and his truth to vindicate you, not your own words of self-defense. Allow your God and his truth to vindicate you, not your own words of self-defense. Verse 1 here we see opens up this, this psalm, this prayer here. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. So David starts off with a cry out to God, hear me, Lord. Please listen to what I have to say here. Please respond to me crying out to you right now in the midst of these struggles. Give ear to my prayer of lips free of deceit. And so literally saying, listen to me. This is what I'm speaking honestly here. There's no deceit that's going on. I'm not trying to shade the truth at all. I'm being totally forthright in what's going on. And we're going to see over and over David declares his innocence here in the attack that, that, that is coming. And, and he goes on and says, From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. Please vindicate me is really what, what, what David here is calling out to God and saying, you vindicate me, but from your presence is where this vindication will come. Or literally what he's saying here is that I'm not going to try to defend myself, Lord. I'm going to trust you to defend me against these attacks. You're the one that's going to have to defend me in these attacks. Let your eyes behold the right. Again, you're seeing him declaring, look, I am not wrong in this, Lord, I'm in the right, but I'm also not going to defend myself, Lord. I'm, I'm asking for you to bring that vindication, for you to defend me in what's taking place. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. You have tried my heart. You visited me at night. Literally saying, look, you know my inner thoughts. You know what it is and the thinking, what has taken place. I, I'm not holding anything back. I'm totally open and honest, laid bare before you, God. You know what's take, what I'm, my actions are. You know what my thoughts are. You know even what my words are. Even in those quiet times and laying in bed at night, you've come to me, and in the quiet thoughts and as you're going to bed, even in those most intimate times, you are aware of all that's taken place. Feeling attacked, and yet he says, I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. He's saying, Lord, help me not to try to respond and defend myself. May it not be my words that, that's bringing up the defense. 
literally, I, I think he's saying, look, help me keep my mouth shut and let you take care of this, is what he's saying. You ever been under attack? You ever been in those times where the pressure is mounting in? And this, I can just imagine here, there were a couple of different times where David here was on the run, back hiding in a cave, and, and, and the armies of Israel and Saul surrounding him, and very well may have been one of these times here. We'll look at it in just a minute here. But where everything is around, there seems to be no way of escape. He had done nothing wrong other than followed what God's plan was, and he was as he was anointed to be the next king, and yet it brought on these attacks. What do we do? What do you do when you're attacked? What do you do? And I, honestly, many times we, we are sitting under attacks and, and, and the things are coming, and, and many times we've done something. And we've brought it on to ourselves. And, and so the, you can understand it's still difficult in the midst, but, but yet the attack is warranted, and, and that's the case. But sometimes then there are things that we haven't done. And we're truly innocent and yet still find ourselves in a difficult time and trial. Now, I also just want to caution you because many times it's easy to be uh, deceptive it's easy to be deceptive and, and, and saying and telling others how you are innocent and yet you are at fault. Um, I think it's also many times the case where we can very easily be self-deceptive. Where, where we, uh, 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 you know, are just easy to dismiss our part in whatever and yet accentuate the negative of the other person. And we can be self-deceptive there um, but this is not the case with David. In this case right here, he is innocent, not justified. So make sure. Take an honest look here. And David, as he cries out to God, he says, you take a look. God, you be the judge. You test things and see if I'm truly innocent in this or if I'm just trying to, to justify what's taking place. Innocent, not justified. He goes on in, in verse 4, he says, With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. With regard to the works of man and with the word of your lips, literally it's my actions and the things that you have laid out in your word of this is how it's supposed to go, uh, that I have followed those words with my actions and I've not followed the violent men. Why would David be saying this? Well, well this, is, this is soon to be King David. This is the warrior, the champion of Israel. At the, at the time of writing this is probably long after he was that champion that went up against Goliath. And he took on the giant. And, and, and uh, when they came back in and he had fought many, many battles, he was a fighting man, David was. David was not afraid of the fight at all. They, they would come in as they came in in the triumphal entry in the city and the people sang out, the, the lady sang out that Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. This was the praise and the accolades and I don't know if he'd actually killed 10,000 people, but he was this warrior and, and, and he was this fighter and not afraid of the fight and yet in the midst of it he said, look, 
but I have not gone this way. I have not gone after my attacker. I've not gone after them. This was the army of Israel led by King Saul, the one whom God had anointed as the first king. He was going to succeed him, but yet that was still the guy in authority at that time, and he respected that position. And so we see, Lord, you're going to need to to fight this fight for me. I I can't, I will not fight this fight on my own. Verse 5, my steps have held fast to your paths, and my feet have not slipped. My, My steps have held fast to your path. Look, I've stayed on your path. I've stayed on your plan. I have followed your word. I've followed the plan that you've laid off. I've not gotten off right or left. We see a sure-footed righteousness here that David is saying. So, so we see David here, he's, he's under attack. Let me ask you, when have you been under attack? When have you been falsely accused maybe of something? Maybe it's, maybe it's something that took place at work. Maybe it's a struggle within the home and in the family dynamic with maybe friends, and it seems like no one can hurt us like the people that are the closest to us, right? We know that to be true. And what is it about the fight? And maybe there's parts, maybe there were some things that you were at fault, and maybe there were some things that you were completely innocent of. And the first thing we want to do is we want to defend, isn't it? We want to take a stand and we want to take a stand and especially if it's something of a more public nature and and we want to be so defensive of our reputation so often in in that as well. And and so we get defensive and we get protective. Here's some ways that we tend to self-protect. See if any of these ring true for you in your life. Uh, one first here uh, I was thinking through as many times we'll, we'll withdraw. The attack comes, and so we withdraw, and many times with that will come a little bit of denial and what's taking place, and we just kind of think, I'll just, I'll just bury my head in this, and I'm just going to pretend it isn't even happening and just ignore it altogether. That usually doesn't last real long, depending on the attacks that are coming. It's not what David was doing. David was being very active against the attack. He was just taking it to somebody else. We withdraw or we control. So the attack comes and so we try to get control of the situation and try to manipulate whatever we can and to try to control what's being said or done. And usually if that fails, then we may go hyper-controlling in other areas of our life. If I've got this going on, I can't control that. Well, for sure, I'm going to try to control this area. And then we get so controlling in what's taking place. Maybe, uh, maybe we become a little passive-aggressive. Maybe we don't do it so it's all in the kind of just the passive-aggressive way, especially if you're one like me who has the gift of sarcasm. It can be our curse as we start getting those little jabs in left and right and trying to, to, pat, to handle things in a passive-aggressive way and to manipulate through that. Maybe 
you are attacked, and so you go on the attack. And there's a counterattack that's offensive, and it's a, okay, you, you come after me, well, I'll show you, and I'm going to come after you now. You make me hurt, I'm going to make you hurt more. And so we, we come back with that counterattack and say, if I, if I can hit them hard enough, maybe they'll back off and not do whatever. And so we hit them with whatever ammunition we can come up with and counterattack in that. Um, maybe here's one of my favorites here as of late here. I've heard this phrase a lot. So we set out to change the narrative and try to start to manipulate and work through the storyline and what's being said and saying, let's, let's try to just reframe that story so that it says and c- comes about a little different so that we can uh, kind of get ahead of the information that, that's coming out, the attacks that are coming out, and frame it in a way in which we can protect ourselves and put ourselves into a good light. All of those, and you could probably think of some others, are ways that we will tend to, to self-protect, ways that we'll tend to become defensive. Guys, if you've been around and watching at all the news and any of politics of the last couple of years and the pre-leading up to the presidential election and even since the presidential election, we've seen a whole lot of attacks. Nowhere do we see attacks and, uh, and <laughs> defensiveness than in politics, Right? Well, I was doing some study this week, and, and uh, for those of you who know anything about history, you know that uh, uh, the political attacks and things that we've seen in the last few years in this last election and even previous one before them, really, uh, for those of you who know anything about history know, uh, this is nothing new. came across an interesting article here. It was the 10 most awesome presidential mudslinging moves ever. Read just a couple of these here. I, I thought it was kind of uh, interesting. Uh, these were um, uh, negative ads that were run in these time periods. Obviously, uh, all of this was before TV, so these negative ads were taking place more in print media. In the 1828 race, John Quincy Adams supporters called Andrew Jackson, here's what they called him, a slave-trading, gambling, brawling murderer. Just try to think through what that commercial looked like. <laughs> Slave trading, gambling, brawling, murder. Here, uh, in the 1848 presidential hopeful, Lewis Cass was called, you ready for this one? Here's, here's a name for you. He was called a pot-bellied, mutton-head cucumber. <laughs> now, I can see that. I can see that picture right there. That's a pot-bellied, mutton-head cucumber. I like this one here. The Whig Party, quote, proved that James Polk, Polk was a slave trader in 1844 by quoting extensively a complete fake excerpt from a book. They made it up. Yes, fake news was even back then. It gets even better with, with that. Uh, in 1800, the uh, Federalist Party, the Federalist claimed that Republican candidate Thomas Jefferson was dead. Actually came out that he was dead, that he had died, and he became president the next year. So uh, he was <laughs> most certainly not dead. Uh, then uh, lastly here, um, it was said uh, Martin Van Buren was, uh, was called a, uh, a snob with a penchant for really nice perfume and strutting in front of $2,400 mirrors like a peacock. 
The truth was Martin Van Buren actually to this day has been the least spending president we've ever had, and yet the attacks fly. We see this in politics. We see this around in society. We see this in so many different avenues and mediums, and and I think if you're like me, uh, you also may have seen it at times in your life. So how do we handle these attacks? What do we do? Well, this, this psalm here, this prayer of David is uh, really calling for worshipful obedience and letting God protect and defend us as he chooses. Point one here is really to allow God to protect and defend us Allow God to be the defense and handle things, here was the catch though, as he chooses. David's calling out saying, Lord, vindicate me in this from your presence, from from being with you, you're going to be my my vindication. But as we pray that prayer, what, what is required in that is we have to trust that God has our best interest in mind. We have to be able to trust God's plan for our life even when we don't understand it. Even when we don't know how or even if it's not gonna be a defense the way that we would want it to be done. So let me ask you again, what are you going through? Where have you been attacked falsely? Have you been able to give it to God to let him come to your defense? Maybe if you're in that situation right now, you may be thinking, what is it that you need to take and to just sit down and say, God, I'm gonna trust you to protect me and I'm gonna trust you to protect my reputation. Point number two, seek a, a deep, personal, abiding relationship with your God through prayer. Seek a deep and personal abiding relationship with your God through prayer. Verse 6, he says, I will call upon you for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to hear me. David here is Christ out. says, I'm calling to you, God. You will answer me. I know that you are hearing me and I know that you're going to answer me, Lord. Just Listen to me, incline your, lean into what I'm saying here. Please hear my words in this. We see this passionate plea here. We see his prayer life is one that he could just cry out and just completely open and bare and transparent before God and just lay it all out on the line as he was speaking to, to, to his Lord and Savior. We see here verse seven, Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who take refuge. Wondrously show. Do a miraculous work here in showing this consistent and present love that you have for us, Lord. My Redeemer, my Savior, the one who comes to, to, to my defense for, for, of those who are taking refuge in you. We see here's a couple of really big God statements here in, in David's worship as he's acknowledging God. You're my Savior. You're the one who is the defender, Lord. And, and Lord, he's just calling out for God's attribute of his steadfast, faithful love 
and what's taking place. David had seen that love. He'd experienced that love over and over again. And he's calling once again, Lord, I know that you love me. I know that no matter what's going through, you're right there with me, Lord. So I am calling upon that in the midst of this attack right now. That's what's taking place here as David is is working through this and crying out to God for that. He, He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves him. And that God's got a plan for his life. What do we take away from this? You can know that God loves you. His steadfast, continual, faithful love. And he's got a plan for you. And it's for his glory and your benefit. God has a plan for you. For his glory and your benefit. Verse 8 here, he says, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Really, literally, it's keep me at the center of your watchful eye. May I be that special person in that special place to you, Lord, here. And we know if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a child of God. As a child of God, a son or daughter, he says, keep me in that, just that special place. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. When I, when I think of that, I, I think of just the coming around and just wrapping your arms around. If you've ever been maybe with a small child in a large crowd and something happens, something that's startling or that, and you see that parent pull that child in close and just wrap their arms around them and just protecting what's ever going on and the, the chaos of, of the commotion of the crowd. It's kind of the metaphor here that, that David is saying, look, that's me. Keep me right there in that special place. I know you love me. Keep me in the, just the center of your watchful eye and, and wrap your protective arms around me. Hide me from the wicked who do, vi- who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. The attacks were all around him. David knew it. He could feel it. The pressure, they were closing in on him. He says, Lord, I I need your protection. I need you to just wrap your arms around me and protect me in the midst of the storm and the attacks that are at hand. How about you? Can you relate to that? When the attacks come, what did David do? He took it to the Lord in prayer. He had that, that, that relationship, that deep personal relationship with his Savior that as soon as it happened, he would immediately then take it to prayer and we're able to see him as he's written this prayer out. This is, this is a man who knew about worship. He knew about what it meant to have a passionate walk with Christ, to have a passionate relationship with his Savior. David feared for his life. The attack was serious. And in the rough times, David turned to God. What about you? In the, in the midst of the attack, what, what, what's, the, what's your first go-to? What, what is it that's the first thing that you go to when the attack comes? Is it into full defensive mode? Or is it turning to prayer? Taking it to God. How, how did David have that relationship? What does that look like here to seek that, that deep personal relationship with your God through prayer? Uh, here's some ideas for developing a dynamic prayer life. This is not an exhaustive list in any way. 
Uh, there's others I'm sure that you can come up with. But James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So here's some, here's some thoughts on how do we do that? How do we draw near to God? Well, first of all here, set regular times. Maybe in the morning, maybe in the evening, maybe both. Have those regular times, that whether you're starting your day, whether you're entering your day, or maybe you're just setting both of those times to kind of book in the day where you're going to just spend some time in prayer and you're going to spend some time talking to your God about what's coming up or what's just taking place. Having those set times. Number two here, um, a daily reading from God's Word. A daily reading from God's Word. You know, prayer is, is one side of a two-sided conversation. It's us talking to God, but, but also then when we're in God's word, we're hearing from God. And then thirdly here, a part of that is to, is to be praying scripture. As you're reading through scripture, then and literally praying back to God, Lord, this is what I'm seeing about you from this passage here. Lord, this is what I, this is what I, I see you're saying to me from this passage. Lord, I worship you or I praise you because of what it is that I see in this passage. Or, or th- this is what I'm going to go after today or this week because of this passage. And, and to be praying through those, those things as, as you're hearing from God and listening from his word. How about journaling or having a prayer list? Just having some things as you've been praying through that you can just jot down the things that you're praying that are kind of keep track of that. As God answers those prayers, that you, you can kind of keep up with that and you can see where God has been faithful and God has worked in the past and it'll help us, it helps us to remind us that we can trust him in, in the future. And you can journal this. You can do, uh, maybe some of you would uh, like to actually write out your prayer to God. What we see here in Psalm 17 with, of what David did as well, and maybe to write out those prayers. How about this? Uh, uh, sometimes I, I, I like to do this. It's been really helpful for me is say, do you know what? At the beginning of the day, say, I'm just going to have a continual conversation with God throughout the day. I'm going to act as if I've got a friend that's in from out of town, and he's just going to follow me and shadow me all, everything where I go, everything I do, every meeting I'm in, everything like that, and he's just right here with me, and I'm just going to have a continual conversation with him throughout the day as, as events happen and things take place in my day. You realize we do have that person right there with us all the time. But just to have that conversation and just whatever happened, okay, Lord, and, and you don't even need to speak out loud to do that. Don't want everybody to run around thinking they're nuts here. But, but to have that, 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 that communication throughout the day. Um, maybe uh, in the moment when something happens, start to, to put things, maybe to remind you to immediately, the first thing you do is take it to God, and then you decide and act. Uh, if you're old school, you might want to put some post-it notes around to remind you. If you're new school, you can put it on your phone. You can set an alarm and have little reminders or things like that. All those things just to get you in the habit of and thinking of keeping that, that, that conversation open with God. Work on that, that relationship with God. So when the attacks come, what, what do you do? What, what, what's your normal go-to? Do you tell a friend do you immediately get your phone, call them, text them, turn to the coworker beside you? Or do you take it to the Lord?
Do you take it to the one who's the creator of the universe who can actually do something about it? Point number three, find your satisfaction in your God and his presence in your life, not in the things of the world. Find your satisfaction in your God and his presence in your life, not the things of this world. It continues on here, verse 10. They close their hearts to pity in their mouths. They, they speak arrogantly. And again, the, the deadly enemies that are surrounding me says, look, they are merciless. They, they, they're, they're, they show no mercy in what's taking place. And that with their mouths, they speak arrogantly. There's just pride coming out. They're so confident in what's going on and these attacks that are coming at us. And there's no mercy. It's just not letting up. They have, they, they have now surrounded our steps and they've set their eyes to cast us to the ground. And David's feeling it. He's feeling surrounded. He's feeling hopeless. He's feeling abandoned in some regards. It's just all pressing in and they've surrounded it. They've been on my trail and, and it's just all closing in and they're here to destroy me. Their one mission it just seems is just to tear me down is where he finds himself. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. He is like a, a, a wild beast just ready to rip us to shreds or, or like the, the young lions that are just laying back, crouched and re ready to pounce is the idea. Notice there, did you see the pronoun change too? Before it was they, they, and now we see in verse 12, it changes to he. The armies of Israel were surrounded, but he recognized this was a very personal attack. This was coming from Saul here. And so we see the pronoun change here where he is like this lion, just ready to rip me to shreds. It's gotten more and more personal and then verse 13 here, we see his cry out for the solution. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. David's solution, what is it that he's praying for? What's the solution in this? It wasn't David acting. It was, Lord, you stand up and fight. Protect me. Put up the fight in this situation. David was uh, so willing to let God work in this situation. I, I'd like to just read here uh, uh, 1 Samuel 24. We see one of these instances, and may have been right around the time of even writing this, this psalm here. But uh, in, this, in this passage, this is one of those times where he, the, he and his men are back in this cave hiding. They're all around him. And Saul comes into this cave that he's in. And his men get really excited and say, oh my goodness, here we go. He's right here at, at our disposal. Here's your chance, David. You can end it right now. It says, then David arose and steadily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and let, left the cave and went his way. 
In this instance, David was so convinced that God had a plan and God was working this. This was who God had set up as the first king. He was going to be the next, but God was going to have to work this plan. And even when he got so close that he actually could cut off the bottom of his robe, and yet he felt so guilty in this because he was taking into his control what was God's to do. And so he, he, he settles him down and says, nope, God's going to have to work in, in this situation. And then verse 14. By the wicked men your sword, from the men by your hand, O Lord, from the men whose, of the world whose portions is, is in this life, you fill their, will, their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. The men of the world whose portion is this life, He's saying, look, Lord, these one, they make it all about this life. David had a very eternal perspective on what was going on and recognizing the fact that it's more than just what's going on here. And so many times we get so caught up in the here and now and the what's going on. And and there's some description here of the things that are saying, this is all, eat, drink, and be married for tomorrow you die. We're going to make it all about now. And so we start going after, these guys were going after their satisfaction in the, the stuff of this world. Can you relate to that temptation at times and the stuff of this world? And so it becomes about just acquiring more stuff, more things. So they filled their womb with treasure, filled their bellies with stuff, literally is, is the idea behind that. Not only that, then, they, they, they make it about they're satisfied with children, and, and they leave their abundance to their infants. And, and so it's about, the, I'm just going to make my family, I'm going to make it all about the relationships and the things that are around me and my family and that, and I'm going to make it about leaving a, a legacy, a heritage to my children. So I'm going to do all that I can to acquire all this stuff so I can pass it on to my children, and that that will bring satisfaction, that that will bring the joy and the peace that comes. But we know it it doesn't. And hear me now. It's not that there's anything wrong necessarily with those things. Because it's not. Actually, Proverbs tells us that a wise man will leave an inheritance to his children and and to be prudent and all of the things and to look out for things to come. And so it's not that these things are wrong in and of themselves, but they are wrong if that's what we're going after for satisfaction. Why? Because satisfaction will only come from our relationship with Jesus Christ. It only comes from the Lord. How do we know? Look at verse 15. As for me, David said, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your likeness. I will behold your face in righteousness. Literally, David says, I will be content in your presence and living for you. I'm going to be content. I'm going to find my satisfaction in you, in the relationship with you. Being in your presence is what is going to bring peace and joy and the satisfaction of life. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your likeness. When I die, and the moment I die, and I'm ushered into heaven and open up my eyes, now I can be satisfied because I'm there with my Savior and will spend eternity with him. That's what David was saying. I said before, there's a, a parallel that we see here a little bit with, with uh, Psalm 16. Look at Psalm 16, verse 11. The last psalm of, 
That last verse of Psalm 16 goes right along with the last verse of Psalm 17, but uh, 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. In your presence there is fullness of joy. What's the takeaway from this? You want joy? You want true satisfaction, peace in your life? It only comes from being in the presence of God. It only comes from worship. As we ascribe to God his worth, as we are there and let his glory spill onto us, that's what David is saying brings satisfaction. It comes down to our worship. I encourage you here. We've got a group uh, that'll be going down to Haiti this week. Got a pick I think we took from this morning um, where the elders were able to pray over us. There's 13 that are going down uh, to Haiti. We're leaving on Thursday and going to be able to be there uh, in Las Cahobas for the launch of the sixth uh, harvest church there in, uh, in Haiti, Harvest Bible Chapel, Las Cahobas. Uh, next Sunday will be the launch for that. We've got this team going down. We're going to be doing some, uh, medical clinic work as well as work team and working on the facilities there and making uh, things for their worship center as well. And so, so excited about that, so excited for the opportunity. I'm, I'm so excited being there for these launches and being able to experience that. I'm so thrilled for the folks that are going with us to be able to be a part of that because it is truly awesome to be able to worship with these Haitian churches. It's just an incredible thing. It's something I love. I love the worship that we have here, but there's something about when we're there and to be able to worship with these Haitians, and I think a part of it is their worship is so true and authentic and, and, and their worship is so focused and, and undistracted. In the midst of the, of, of the poverty, this is really one of the strongest launches, I, I think long, one of the stronger church plants that we've got. They've got a, just a large core group. They've got some great leadership and the training. It's gone super well. I, I mean, God's been doing some great things already, and I'm looking forward to what's going to take place here moving forward. And yet it's also one of the, the, the poorer uh, of the areas there in Haiti. And, and, and it's just an amazing thing is to be able to come outside and to worship and to see what's going on and their singular focus of their worship of Jesus Christ. It's actually very humbling at times because they're not distracted by so much of the other stuff that I so easily get distracted by. Be praying for that group. Be praying for this church. Be praying for Pastor Carnold here this week as, as he's getting ready for the launch. And, and we're just excited to see what God is going to do. Find your satisfaction in your relationship with your God. Not in the things of this world. Let me ask you this question here as we close. I want you to think real hard on this and really think of this. I want to know, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I would be happy or I would be satisfied in my life if. Fill in the blank. I would be satisfied, I would be happy in my life if this happened, if I had this. 
What is it that was the first thing that came to mind? What is it that affects our thinking? What is it that, that you're looking for to bring satisfaction? It helps sometimes look at your priorities. How, how do you know your priorities? Well, uh, look at your calendar and look at your checkbook. <laughs> where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money is a lot of times a good indication of your priorities. What, what are your goals? What is it that, that really keeps you going and moving? What, what are the goals you're going after? When, when difficult times come and, and hardships, can you, do you still experience peace and joy even in the difficult times? What is it that you need to go after this week? What is it maybe you need to set down? And what is it that you might need to pick up in your worship of your Savior this week? Thank you.